Amen. Amen. Hey, you can go ahead and find a seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Hey, if you uh, have your Bible, I hope you do. Uh, You can open that now and uh, make your way to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We got you covered. Uh, There, you're going to find one underneath uh, one of the seats in front of you. I'd love for you to get that out and see it for yourself this morning. This is what we like to do. We like to open up God's Word. If you're using one of those um, Bibles uh, there in um, uh, one of our Bibles, I think it's in the 850s is where you're going to find the book of Book of Acts. That's where we are at. Um, around page, I think it's eight fifty six. Um, so you can uh, make your way there, and uh, just by way of kind of catch up and summary, um, just want to remind us of where we're at uh, in. Uh, this series through the book of Acts. Uh, We're calling our series Unstoppable. Uh, The reason is, is uh, Jesus, uh, upon leaving his followers uh, and and ascending to heaven, he gave uh, his followers this mission. And uh, this is where the church began. And he told them to go and to be his witnesses uh, here, close by and, and far away, um, and, and, and sent them off. And what we see in what the book of Acts records for us is the first um, few decades of the church being established, of the church doing just that, doing exactly what Jesus had called them to do. And uh, it is um, nothing short of uh, an unstoppable move which spread out. One of the things that have puzzled uh, historians and um, is, is just remarkable about uh, the Christian church is how quickly the word spread, how quickly uh, the movement um, caught fire and, 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 and went to every corner of, of the world. And you see, uh, you see this, this, uh, this move kind of taking shape here um, in Acts. And one of the things that um, we saw last week is uh, Jesus, before leaving, he said, wait until the helper comes. He said, um, uh, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so wait until you receive that power. When the Holy Spirit comes, then you will go and be my witnesses. And so where we left off last week was the Holy Spirit had come. And they were there in that upper room. Just by way of reminder, there was this loud wind, sound of a wind uh, that came through. There was these, uh, looked as if flames kind of resting upon all the heads of those who were there, all 120 people there in that place. And then they began to speak. And when they spoke, what came out was not their um, normal language, but rather it was dozens of languages. Uh, And they were all sharing and saying the gospel. They were telling of Jesus and who he was and what he had done. And so the Holy Spirit was speaking um, through them. And, uh, and, and, and these people, uh, crowds, uh, came and sort of uh, started gathering around them. And uh, this sound was, was heard uh, you know, throughout. They heard the sound, came running, and, um, and, and, and there was this massive crowd that gathered there. And God, in his sovereignty and just wisdom, chose that time, the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, in which he was going to give his uh, ultimate fulfilled provision of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just any time, it was the time when... uh, the, uh, the, the message was then going to go out to the corners of the globe, even from that place, because Jerusalem swelled to two, three times its size during this feast. And, and so all these people, all these men, all these women were here. And in verse 12 of chapter two, it says, and all were amazed and perplexed upon hearing these men, women speaking these languages, speaking of Jesus. And they said to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? 
What we're going to look at today is the first Christian sermon that was ever preached. Uh, Peter stands up and he's going to answer this question. What does this mean? What's happening here? What's, what's going on? And what we're going to see is we're going to see the response of the people. And it's incredible. It's amazing. We're calling the sermon uh, this morning Cut to the Heart because that's what happens um, as he shares, as he speaks of what has happened. They were cut to the heart. So we're going to see how this happens. Um, there's a few elements, a few parts that sort of contribute to that. Let's walk our way through the, the uh, passage now. We're in Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14. Um, uh, it says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, right? Uh, above, it says, what does this mean? But others said they are filled with new wine. So they're like, are these guys drunk? What's going on here? He's like, they're not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day, which if you have the note in your Bible is nine o'clock. They started counting at six, so it's nine o'clock. He's like, it's 9 a.m. They're not drunk. Here's what's going on, verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and even my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below and blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So upon being asked, hey, what does this mean? Peter stands up and here's the first thing that we see that happens is the, the word of God is preached. The word of God is preached. Now, to understand what is happening with that, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves who it is that's preaching here. It says Peter. If you remember Peter, he often... Um, you know, would put his foot in his mouth. He was kind of the first to, to jump out there and kind of do it. I can kind of relate to Peter sometimes. Um, you know, he just was, was always out, out there and going. Um, but Peter, uh, Peter, when he was with Jesus on the night um, when he was handed over uh, to the authorities, that last supper, Jesus said to him, he said, hey, Peter, before the night is over, you are going to deny me. You're going to betray me uh, three times. And Peter is like, no way, Lord. No way. I, I would never do that. <clears throat> I, you are everything. I've been following you. Like, how could I possibly deny you three times? And Jesus is like, yes, that is what is going to happen. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, as the trial was being conducted, as uh, Jesus was there amongst the, uh, the authorities, the religious leaders, all of that, people approached Jesus and accused him and said, hey, weren't you one of those 12? Weren't you one of the men that were with him? Aren't you one of his followers? And each time, Peter said, no, no, you've got the wrong guy. It's not me. Maybe, you know, I look alike. I get that all the time. You know, I think it's somebody else. To the point that there was even this um, young, um, I think like a servant girl or, or this young child that approached him and was like, you were one of the, the 12. And even to this young child, he's like, no, you've got the wrong guy. That was not me. Three times he denied 
being associated with Jesus. And there was this moment where Jesus passed by him and they saw each other. And he realized in that moment, as he heard um, the, uh, the, 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 um, the, the sound of the crow, or the, not the crow, the rooster um, uh, crowing, he's, he's, he realized what had happened. There before the night was over, he had just denied his Lord, his Savior, three times. Well, fast forward a little bit. Jesus, after rising from the dead, is with his followers, and he is there with Peter, and he restores him to this place. He recognizes the place that Peter had sort of sunk to and, and, and just how convicting and challenging that was. And, and they were having breakfast, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him that, and three times Peter answered, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you, I love you. And in that same way, in the same way he had denied him three times, three times he reaffirmed his love for him. He says, then go and feed my sheep. So what we have here is Peter, who seven and a half weeks earlier, denying the Lord, timid, they were all hiding out. Remember, they're scared. They didn't know what was going on. Now, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up with boldness and begins to preach and say, let me tell you, men of Israel, let me tell you, Men of Judea, what is happening? What this means? And where does he get this boldness? Well, it comes first, clearly, from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit upon him, filling him, speaking through him. But he is speaking the very word of God. He's quoting scripture. And so I think we have to just start and understand that, that, that God works through his word. This first Christian sermon ever preached is preaching the word of God, as it should, right? And who does he quote? He quotes the prophet Joel. This is a perfect passage. Peter um, couldn't have picked a better one, right? And what does he say? Verse 16, he says, it was, it was uttered through the prophet Joel. Well, who's uttering? It's answered there in verse 17. In the last days, it shall be God declares. God is uttering. He's using his prophet Joel, who's speaking for God, and he's saying, listen, these are the words of the Lord. Joel recorded them. Joel spoke them. But this is God's words. And this is the word of God. So we have to start here and understand that this is the word of God being spoken. Why turn to Joel? Why, what was the purpose of this passage? Well, I think there's three reasons that he points to Joel. Let me give them to you. The first is he wants to use this passage to show and illustrate and make sure that they understand, first, that the last days have begun. You see that in verse 17? And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So he's pouring out his spirit. He's like, these are the last days. Listen, brothers, sisters, we've been waiting for this day. We've been looking forward to the last days. They are now here. This is a truth we need to understand. Listen, church, we are in the last days. Certainly Peter, standing there that day, had no idea. He thought maybe the last days were gonna be weeks, months, possibly years, would have never understood or known that it was going to be 20 centuries of time. But here we are still living in the last days, okay? We are as much in the last days as they were there. He's like, these are the last days. The second reason he points to Joel is to explain, because the question is, right, what does this mean? Why are these guys speaking this language? Who are they talking about? And he's like, this is what's happening. God has poured out his spirit upon us. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dream dreams. 
even my male servants, female servants, men, women together, even the lowest of those, those servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So first, the last days have come. Secondly, he's using this because the spirit of God has been poured out. He's like, listen, this is it. God has poured out his spirit upon us. And so what you are seeing is you are seeing testimony. You are seeing visible sign that God's spirit is here and present and working. And in verse 19, he says, I will show my wonders in the, he- in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be certain to darkness, the moon to blood. He's saying, listen, God has said for generations that we would not miss this day. These days are here God has poured out his spirit. That is the reason for all the signs and the wonders and the things. We're gonna see tons of this. As we walk through Acts, God was working in a pretty unique way in history. Why? He was making it amply clear that his spirit was present and working, that he had come. And so we see him uh, with an exclamation point saying, God's spirit is here. And so the spirit of God is pulled out. The third reason that he points to uh, the prophet Joel is he's saying of what is yet to come, and that is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come. Do you see it there? Before the day of the Lord comes, great and magnificent day. So two things have happened. The last days have come, or the last days have begun. The spirit of God has been poured out. The third thing is yet to come. The day of the Lord will come. But what does it say? At this, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There you have it in the first uh, Christian sermon being preached. Peter is speaking to the grace of God. The last days are come. He's pouring out his spirit upon us, but also speaking to this conviction of God. He's like, there is a day of judgment coming and we need to be ready. It's those who call upon the name of the Lord that will be saved. Are we ready for that? Are we calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation? And before we go any further, what I just wanna make sure that we see amply clear is this, is that this move of God begins with the preaching of his word, the preaching of his word. There is the prominence given to scripture. What is scripture? What is this book that we're holding? Well, I think it's better explained. This isn't just kind of one book. This is actually 66 books. It's, it's better understood that you're holding not just a book, but like a little mini library in your hand, okay? Those of you that have our little Acts journals, that's just, just a single book, okay? And then this is sort of the whole uh, library, like a bookshelf, all right? And so if you've ever picked up the Bible and you've tried to re- read cover to cover, it would be like walking into a library or going to a bookshelf and just starting at the top and just sort of moving your way down. If you're like, I don't understand how these all sort of relate together, it's because they're different books, okay? They're grouped by genre. There's, there's law, there's history, there's poetry, there's the prophets, there's the gospels, which speak of the works of Jesus. There's um, the story of the church, which is kind of like history. And then you have these letters and then prophecy. And, and so they're grouped in these categories, but it's like a little mini library. But what it is, is all of it is God speaking to the world. And he spoke through men. He led them along. It says that he carried his spirit, carried them along. And so as we see here, it says, as uh, God uttered through his prophet Joel, this is the word of God. We believe that in its original form, every, everything in it is without error. That is perfect. It's complete. It's trusted. And the copy that we hold today can be trusted as well. God has preserved his word 
I mean, why wouldn't he, right? It's from him. He wrote it. He wants us to have it. He has preserved and protected our words. So So the pages that we have in front of us, we can trust and understand to be the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And hopefully, as we gather here in this place and as we come into this, uh, this time every week, every week we gather for worship, but we also gather for what? To hear the word of God. Now, I hope that you did not come here this morning to hear anything that I have to say, because I promise you, and this is not just me being cute or you know, kind of uh, you know, like uh, humble, I have nothing of value to say. Like, I think this every week. I'm like, what am I going to say? I'm not here to say anything. Hopefully the only thing that you came here to hear this morning is from the word of God, okay? I'm merely preaching and proclaiming the word of God. Anything that I sort of bring into it or add to it, I'm sure is only gonna distract or detract. So that's one of my major goals every week. How can I not take away from what God has so perfectly said in his word? How can I help us to see and understand what it is that he said? And so whoever it is that's up here and preaching God's word, the reason that we have this pulpit, the reason that this is center to the word is not because that, again, that I would be prominent, but that God's word would be prominent. We're hearing from the Lord right now. This is God's word for us. You know, two crucial elements for any church that's going to be a church needs to have the word of God and the spirit of God, right? It's the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. And so, Lord, help us that we would never move away from or ever try and water down the word of God. And it is so true and so sad, but there are so many churches who try and explain away half the things that are said in this. Or they try and, you know, sort of do some gymnastics with it and kind of like, well, we don't really talk about those parts. Listen, here at our church, we think the entire counsel of God's word is perfect and without error. I don't know how we determine what is and what isn't. And so this is the type of church that we are. We're going to remain committed to that. Many of you are here, and you've told me this. You're here because we, as a church, we uphold the prominence of God's word. We want to hear from God's word being preached. I have nothing to add to it. It's all here. It's from God himself. And so this is what Peter does. He stands up and he preaches the word of God. He points to Scripture. And he says, God said, right? It was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is the explanation. Why are these men doing this? It's because it was prophesied. These are the last days. The spirit of the God, the spirit of the Lord is here and the last day, the day of the Lord is coming. That's why. And so the word of God is preached. But then Peter continues. Let me give you the point. I'll show it to you. What we see next is through the word of God being preached, the work of Jesus is proclaimed. The work of Jesus is proclaimed. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested to you uh, by God with mighty works, wonders, signs, God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified. Killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What does Peter do? He preaches the word of God and he proclaims the works of Jesus. And there's sort of four parts to the works of Jesus that he wants to make sure that are amply clear for everyone to see. You see, first he talks about the works and the wonders of Jesus. He's like, this is Jesus of Nazareth. You all know who he is, right? He's been traveling around. You've heard the stories. You've seen him yourself. 
And what you've seen was a man born in Bethlehem, growing up in Nazareth, doing ministry in mostly Galilee, but around, um, around Israel. And he's attested to you by God how, with these mighty works, these wonders and signs, what were these? Well, Jesus' ministry was full of incredible things, right? He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. He healed those of leprosy and other uh, illnesses. He even raised the dead to life. That little girl, Lazarus, he, he raised the dead to life. We see that he was present and working in these incredible ways. He did things that could not be explained through normal uh, ways, right? All of us, we've probably seen at some point, like a magician or better known as like an illusionist, right? If you've ever been to a show or watched on TV, they can do some incredible things. They make like planes disappear or, um, you know, uh, cars appear or, you know, cut things in half and all these things. But what, what is, what's really going on there? Are those actually happening or does it just look like they're happening? We all know the answer. It just looks like it's happening. They're illusions. See, the difference is, is the things that Jesus were doing were not illusions. He did it in front of them. I mean, the story... Uh, of when one of the, the miracles that Jesus worked is there was a, a man that was blind uh, from the time he was a child. He spent his days begging in the, uh, the, the marketplace, in the, in the center of town. I mean, everybody knew this guy. And then he comes and shows up and he's like, I can see. And they're like, how can you see? Jesus healed me. And they weren't attesting like, well, did that really happen? They're like, how did that happen? Or, or by, what, by what way? It wasn't ever a question of, did Jesus do the miracles? It's like, well, by what power was he doing these things? And he's like, listen, Jesus did these signs, these works, these wonders. His ministry was clear. But what happened? He was delivered over to death. See, we see the works and wonders of his ministry. Next, we see the death of Jesus. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. It was just seven weeks previous that Jesus, right there in that city, in that place, that he had been crucified. Two months had passed. He's like, this Jesus, he was delivered up. Now, I love what he shows here. Notice the kind of paradox, the tension that, that Peter speaks to here. What does he say? He says it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That means that God's hand not only was present in it, but he had intended that from the very beginning. From before time, God knew this was gonna happen. But what did he do? He worked through the free will of lawless, evil men. Now, some of us, we wanna reconcile that. We're like, well, how does God use the evil acts of men to accomplish what he's going to do? Peter doesn't try and reconcile that for us. We're not gonna address that here. Scripture actually never does. But what he says is God is in control. God's plan was working here through these men. And he's like, it wasn't just these men, it was you. Do you see what he says? You crucified. You crucified him. You put him on the tree. And what he's saying here, this has been twisted and used to attack the Jewish people and say the Jewish people were who killed. That's not what he's saying here. When he's saying you, he's not just saying you Jews, he's saying you humans. We are grouped right in there. Listen, us, every one of us here today, it was our sin that put Jesus on that cross. We were the reason that he went to that. God's word is clear. The payment of sin is death. And so it was our sin that put Jesus there on the cross. We were the ones who crucified him. We rebelled against him. We put him there. 
You, you crucified him according to God's definite plan, his foreknowledge. He intended it all along. But that's not where it ends. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We see the works and wonders of Jesus. We see the death of Jesus. Then we see the resurrection of Jesus. He died a bodily death. He died. He was buried in a tomb and then he rose to life again. Listen, this isn't just a tale or sort of um, a little uh, make-believe thing that we kind of hold on to. It says if the resurrection never happened, then we of all people are to be most pitied. Listen, as a church, as Christians, this is where our hope lies. If this never happened, then what are we doing here, right? We're, we're, we're worshiping a guy who, who, who died and has long been gone for 2,000 years. No, what it's saying is that God raised him to life. He's alive Today, why? Because it was not possible for him to be held there. The power of death was not great enough to overcome God and his power. And so he defeated death. He paid for sin, defeated death, and Jesus walked out of the grave that day. And there was a reason for all of it. Verse 25, this was foretold by David. He goes back to the word of God, right? He's preaching the word of God. He says, for David says concerning him, This is from one of David's Psalms. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. Why? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness with your presence. Peter is like, is David talking about David or is David talking about Jesus? And he answers the question right here, verse 29. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, our King David, great David, he both died and was buried. There's no no question about it. He's like, his tomb's right over there. He's like, we can go see it, right? It's right here with us this day. We can go see it for the day. So he did go to the grave, but being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, Jesus, a descendant of David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That is why he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So when David writes, what he's writing about is not his own life, but he's writing about the life of Jesus. Verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul, you will not abandon the soul of Jesus to Hades, or let your holy one, Jesus, see corruption. God was working in Jesus' death, but also his resurrection. It says, this Jesus raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He's like all 120 of us. You see all of us up here? All the ones who are talking all these different languages? He's like, we're telling you what we saw with our own eyes, what we touched with our hands, what we experienced for the last several weeks. We were with the risen Jesus. He died a real death and he rose to life, and we are, testi- we are giving testimony to that. We are witnesses of what we, how can we not but share what we have seen? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see the works and wonders of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and then the exaltation of Jesus. That's what's happening here, the exaltation of Jesus. He was exalted to the right hand of the Father, put in this place of prominence. 
For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, "The Lord sit at my right hand." As the Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He drives home the point again. He says, "Listen, you all, you were the ones who put Jesus on that cross." The works of Jesus are being proclaimed here. His death was not by accident. You were part of it, but God was working through it. Now again, to be clear, they were not all personally the ones who did it. Many of them maybe weren't even here, right? They had traveled in. They were just kind of here. So he's like, well, how did we put him there? He's like, your sin put him there. You put him there. It was us who killed Jesus. It was our sin who put him here. But the summary... If you catch one verse, if you want to see the uh, kind of primary verse, the summary verse is where it all lands there. Verse 36, let the house of Israel, therefore, therefore, everything I've said, therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. We often think of Christ, Jesus Christ is like, Christ is not his last name, okay? If you, if you knew that, let me just kind of clear up that little, little mistake. Christ means Messiah, it means anointed one, okay? Christ, he has made him both Lord and and the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. What happens next is the hearts of the hearers are convicted. The hearts of the hearers are convicted. They all heard this. And when they heard it, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? See, there's a few things going on here. Peter is answering their question. When he says, what does this mean? He's speaking and addressing their mind, right? They're like, what are we seeing here? What are we witnessing? He's like, let me tell you what you're witnessing. You're witnessing the fulfilled prophecy that was spoken by the prophet Jude. God's spirit is being poured out and God is doing something here. And what he's doing here is he's giving witness to the work that Jesus has done. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, is exalted at the right hand of the father and he is the Lord and Messiah that we have been waiting for. He's the one. He's the one that we've been looking for. And so you have to understand that coming to Christ is, is partly an intellectual thing. You have to understand your own shortcoming, your own need for a savior. There is a mental piece of it. You understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And so this isn't just some kind of emotional experience or something that you just kind of feel your way into there's some thought that's given here. And what happens is, is they, they heard, they heard of Jesus and what he had done. And when they heard this, their heart, they were cut to the heart. Literally, it means that they were like stabbed in the heart. It, it penetrated, it, it cut through and some of you know this feeling. You've felt this feeling. You've felt the conviction of God at work. You've felt this, this cutting that happens by the Holy Spirit. They were convicted. And for some of us, maybe that has never happened. You've heard this before. Some of you, you could even share the, the, the finer points of this yourself. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you, you kind of culturally were uh, exposed to this. And, and, and so in your mind, you know all the parts of it, but maybe it's never moved from your mind to your heart. There's never been the thinking moving to conviction. But what we see here is that the hearers were convicted. They were cut to the heart. And they recognized that it was me. 
It was my sin that put him there. It was my need for a savior that, that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again. And so then it leads to action, heart or mind, heart, action. What shall we do is the question they asked. The rest of the apostles, Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do now? A bit of a side point, this is a great model. Uh, if you just want a simple model for studying and responding to the word of God, these are three questions that you can ask. What did I just hear? Or what did I just read? Uh, what does it mean? And what must I do? What do I hear? What does it mean? And what do I do? Hopefully every time we open up God's word, these are three questions that we're asking. But they, upon hearing the preaching of God's word, upon seeing the works of Jesus proclaimed, they were cut to the heart. They said, what must we do? And Peter doesn't mince any words. Look what he says, verse 38. Again, filled with boldness, being led by the Holy Spirit, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't just be baptized like, you know, Again, as a, as a sort of cultural marker or this movement, he says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have to understand, these are devout Jews. They have been following Torah. They have been living according to Levitical law for their life. And here, what, these, what, what Peter is saying is this Savior, this Messiah that we've been waiting for, he's come and his name is Jesus. And so be baptized in the name of Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Acknowledge him as Lord and who he has done. And then you will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for this promise is for you and it's for your children and it's for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let's be amply clear about this this morning. This is for all of us. There is no one within the sound of my voice, no one here in this room, no one joining us on the stream or later on the podcast that is hearing from me right now who is beyond the reach of God that God cannot, will not call to himself. He is calling all of us to himself. The question is, are we going to respond? It says it's for all, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He goes on with many other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort them. And he said this, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. What does he mean by save yourselves? He's not saying that there's something that they can add to the work of Jesus. Rather, what he's saying is you, for you, you need to respond to the work of Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. And this is what coming to Christ is. It is not us adding to what God has done. So many times I think we get that wrong. We think that I need to earn it or I need to clean myself up or I need to get to this place. No, what he's saying is throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Recognize that none of your works, none of your uh, filthy rags are going to add up to anything, but it's only through the work, the finished work of Jesus that you will be saved. Save yourselves, believe by faith that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's doing what he said he's going to do and then you will be saved from this crooked generation. And here's the reality that you and I need to understand. So many times I think we... We sort of lull ourselves in this place of, um, I think, convenience or sort of uh, that, that maybe we're okay, that, that, that really the danger, the evil that we need to get away from is out there, right? So many times I think we think that, that the, the danger, the evil that we face is, is outside of us. And, and let's be clear, we live in a 
broken world, a dying world. Just this week in our community, right here in Fitchburg, just like a mile that way, there was an 11-year-old girl died by accident, by a gunfire, passed away this last week. And just a couple nights ago, just a couple blocks that way, not by accident, someone was stabbed to death right over here. Listen, this is all around us. We live in a crooked generation. But, but, if we think that the problem is only out there and that we're fine in here, then we are missing it. Listen, the problem that we face is not out there. It is in here. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are in need of salvation. Our hearts are in need of healing. We need forgiveness. It is not out there. It is here. And so Peter says, he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You need to respond in faith to what Jesus has done on your behalf that you would be saved. And what he's saying in this moment is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel, which says it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's like, the name of the Lord, that's Jesus. So call in the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, we are not going to be saved by anything else, anything that we can do or any other name, but for the name of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus alone that has come to save and it is Jesus alone that can save us. And he's calling for response. And look what happens, verse 41. Response there was. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We see that the hearts of the hearers are convicted, but the souls of believers are saved. They responded to the action which Peter had called them to, repent, be baptized. Let's be clear about what that baptism is. It's a visible sign, an outward sign of the inward change. It wasn't the baptism that was saving them. Rather, it was the picture of the saving that had been done by Jesus. So the reason they were baptized was to illustrate and to show and to demonstrate what Jesus had already done in their hearts. And this is available to all. Those who are here, those who are far off, your children, save yourselves Jesus has done everything to save you. You must respond in faith. So here's where we are today. The call for action remains the same. I would say to us, church, to you here, maybe this is your first time with us, maybe you've been coming for a while. I know, I know that there are some that are probably hearing my voice right now that need to take some action today. Some of you, the action you need to take is you need to, for the first time, that conviction that you're feeling, that cutting of the heart, that's the spirit speaking to you in the same way that he was speaking to these men and women here. You need to ask the question, what shall I do, God? And what he would say is repent and believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Listen, Jesus has done everything, everything that you need for salvation. He paid your penalty in full. 
There is nothing that you have done that is beyond his ability to forgive. He paid for it. That is why he went to the cross. That is why it says you crucified him. It was your sin that, had, that put him there. But the grave could not hold him. He defeated sin. He destroyed death when he walked out of that grave. And he is offering us the forgiveness and life that he came to accomplish and to earn. And so some of you, the action that you need to take today is you need to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness and the salvation of your sin. You need to put your trust in him as your savior, as your Messiah. My question is, when have you ever done that? You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. You're either alive or you're dead in your sin. Have you passed from death to life? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? He wants to do that today, today. Don't wait. Today is the day that he wants to do that. Repent and be saved. Others of you, maybe the action looks a little different. Maybe some of you have taken that step. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you haven't finished the next part, the repent and be baptized part. Some of you have never been baptized. See, baptism is the picture that Jesus gave us. He himself went through. And I would say this is that it's clear throughout God's word. We're going to see it throughout Acts. So this isn't the only time I'm going to be loading this up, all right? We're going to be talking about baptism a bunch because we see tons of baptism, okay? So this is my only run at this, but let me just say it clearly this way. Is if you are a follower of Jesus, he calls you to be baptized. And that's the order that it happens. Believe and be baptized. Some of you were baptized before you could understand what was going on. Some of you were baptized before you truly put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you thought you were, and then you kind of got baptized, and you walked away from the Lord, and there was no fruit, and you're like, I was not saved then. I'm saved now, but you've never taken that step to be baptized as a believer. What I would say to you today is, are our baptism, is that in order for you? Have you believed, then been baptized? Now, I know that, you know, again, maybe your parents, it was kind of this cultural thing, sort of family thing, whatever it might be, but that was their decision. That was their choice. Jesus is calling us to make this choice. He would say for all of us, it says, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is what's going to happen. We're not going to baptize anyone today, okay? There's no tank, all right? We don't have shorts or shirts or any of that kind of thing, although be ready for it because at some point we're going to. We're going to just do a baptism. We're going to kind of call you on the carpet and like, that'll be your chance. Like to quit dragging your feet, just do it. Let's go for it. But what I would ask you is if you've never been baptized, maybe that is what God is calling you to do soon. In a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism. If you've never been baptized, what are you waiting for? That is the action some of you need to take. You've been cut to the heart. The question is, what should I do? God's word would say you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. 3,000 that day. Can you imagine the logistics of that? That's where my pastor mind goes. It's like, what a mess. Like, they had to then, like, lining up and trying to figure all that out, right? And, like, all, all of that. Like, how do you baptize 3,000 people in one spot? They didn't have, like, an action plan going into it. They were praying in the upper room, spirit cam, ban. They're like a mega church now. They got 3,120 people in the church, and now they're baptizing all of them. It's incredible. 3,000 that day. We're baptized. See, God's calling us today to respond. And if you've been around for a while, we don't preach a sermon like this every week. This isn't, there's not kind of this, this hard push, but I, what I would ask is today is that you would think about what it is that God's calling you to do. I'm gonna invite the, the team to uh, make their way up here. We're gonna respond here in a minute.
But as they do, I would just ask this. Why don't we close our, close our Bibles, bow our heads, close our eyes, just as a way of kind of quieting our heart before the Lord. I would just ask you this. Is there a time, is there a moment, is there, is there a place where you can see and point to and know that you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, that you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin. See, we are all in need of a Savior. All have sinned. All of us, every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And the payment, the penalty for that sin is death. And Jesus went to the cross for that penalty. And so maybe today's the day when you need to acknowledge your need for him. You need to respond to him. You need to trust him. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Is he to you today? And if you want to do that today, I would just, um, I would lead you with these words. You could pray a prayer like this. It doesn't have to be these words, but it's the expression of your heart. And so it could be something like this. You could say right here, right there where you're sitting, God, I acknowledge my sin and my need for a savior. I want to turn from my sinful ways. Jesus, I believe that you died for the forgiveness of my sin and that you rose to life again. And today, Jesus, I am putting my trust in you and in you alone as my Savior. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this, that in a moment like that, in a step of faith, confessing, believing, saying with your mouth, believing with your heart, you are saved. God, I want to thank you for your grace toward us. Lord, the way that you have worked, the way that you have responded, God, the way that you have moved, you have opened a way where there was no way. Jesus, you have created the opportunity for us to be saved Lord, all we have to do, all we have to do is believe in faith of what you have done, adding nothing to it of our own. God, but merely responding with faith. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would continue to show us the way that you are here, that you are working. God, I pray for those who are responding even now. God, they themselves have been cut to the heart. Would you show them to be faithful and true? Show them who you are, God. We pray this in the name of your son.